Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm, I've got another Zoom podcast about to start. Um, this is a guy I came across only recently. And as everybody knows, I'm the founder of a, a brand in, in Soho in, in London called Woodbury House. We predominantly uh, represent an artist called Richard Hamilton, who is AKA the Godfather Street Art. And me doing a bit of homework, me doing a bit of studying, me doing a bit of research. Um, I've gone down this rabbit hole of like street culture um, and I've come across a lot of legends. I've interviewed them, people like LA2, Out Diaz, Crash, Cope, um, you know, Black the Rat, etc. Even today in person in London, I actually interviewed um, Ben Ein. And uh, last week I interviewed uh, Alan, Alan Kett. And part of the reason why I interviewed Alan Kett, part of the reason why I interviewed Ben Ein, and part of the reason why introducing my next guest, Risk, is because I watched a really cool documentary called Banksy and the Rise of Outlaw Art. And I know you guys were all featured on, uh, on there, that you were all spoke about on there, and also were doing a bit of narration, basically. So anyway, that was a long introduction. Uh, Risk, thank you for your time. I'm speaking to you fresh from uh, from LA, aren't I? Yep. Yeah. Cool. So this is this is where you 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 live, and is it is that where you were born, or is that where you moved to? No, I was born in New Orleans, but I moved here probably in like seventh grade, eighth grade. Okay. So uh, the obvious question, or like a very uh, typical question I would ask to an artist uh, to kick off this conversation is was you always an artist risk or did this is it something that you evolved into over time when you was a young man yeah you know my my grandmother told me that when I was a kid I used to draw words and write fire out of flames and write balloons out of balloons and clouds out of clouds so it's kind of funny man I thought I was, I've been doing graffiti since before I knew what it was um, and my dad he's a race he, he drove race cars briefly so he taught me how to draw a dragster at a very early age and it's draw you know my whole life you know i moved around like every six months or so so i it was this awkward kid that didn't have friends so i just kept drawing i just hid myself in like drawing yeah um so i've interviewed a few um artists from new york and i'm a little bit sick in their head because yes i appreciate your work Yes, I appreciate the market. And yes, I appreciate everybody that is contributing towards that market. But the thing I get kicks out of um, is I like listening to the, the stories, the controversial stories. Part of the reason why I was attracted to the Hamilton market and the lurking shadow figures is because they represented like New York when it was kind of, you know, quite a, quite a sort of a dangerous place. You know, it was quite controversial, quite checkered. And I like to hear, you know, when I was asking Alan Ketz about some of the stories, I mean, he was fairly open about guns, knives, stabbings, gangs, drugs, that kind of stuff. And I wanted to ask you, basically, is 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 that the kind of same scene that you was a part of? Was you a part of that melting pot? Or what was your experience like, you know, becoming becoming an artist? Well, you know, being an artist in Los Angeles was uh, a challenge because we didn't, you know, when I was doing graffiti here, there was only maybe a handful of people doing it and um, the rest are gangs. So we grew up in the, this whole gang culture in Los Angeles. And, you know, when you're in a different neighborhood writing and they don't recognize you, you're just become an enemy and they shoot at you. I've been shot and stabbed and all that stuff. Um, so, so you, you know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, right. You say that so casually, like you're rubbing your head and you're like, you know, you, you, you're grabbing your chin. And you're, yeah. I've been stabbed. I've been shot. I mean, what the fuck? Like, how, like you've been literally shot and stabbed, and you're still here. Yeah, well, you know, um, I've been very lucky. I, I got shot at so many times. I, I think I thought I was invincible, you know, until that finally when I got shot, and then I, I kind of woke up a little bit and said I got to really pay a little more attention. Um, and you know, getting chased and jumping the fence, I got stabbed in the ass. That that was painful. <laughs> cool, I bet it did. I mean, so so for you, COVID is like a, a walk in the park because my man over here has been shot a few times and stabbed in the ass. COVID is the best thing ever happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. But, so so all jokes aside, I mean, talk to me about when you got stabbed uh, and also shot. I mean, why, why did that happen? Uh, you know, I, I got stabbed once, I think, for stealing spray paint. Stealing some of my spray paint and we got in a fight, and I got stabbed. It wasn't that major. And then once uh, I was 
painting and a security guard actually chased me and I was jumping the fence and he's like, you motherfucker, and he's jumping up. And I didn't really realize at the time and then fucking he stabbed me and I was like, wow. And then I got away and then uh, getting shot at was common place in Los Angeles. You know, neighbors just shoot at you. Like we'd, they'd go on bridges and shoot down at us and, and lots and stuff like that. And then um, one day uh, this guy came and he was looking for another guy and he was like, yo, risk where such and such. I'm like, I'm not going to say anything. And he's like, I don't want to shoot you, but I will just tell me where such and such is. And I kept backing up, backing up. And I started running like in the movies, you know, zigzagging. And I got like a football field away or further. I was like, he's not trying to shoot me. I'm like, fuck you, you're not trying to shoot me. And he shot and hit the wall like right next to me. I was like, oh shit. I got like that super strength. I pulled myself over the wall. And I was just going over the wall. And he shot me in the leg. And uh, I just ran like, I was screaming, he's shooting me, he's shooting me. I was knocking fences down, trying to wake people up and stuff. And then in Los Angeles, we have helicopters in the gang neighborhood. There's a lot of helicopters and cops and everything. So they were there immediately. Like helicopters were coming, cops. And they go, get on the ground. I got on the ground. And uh, they had the guns out and the helicopters light on me. And they go, yeah, we need an ambulance. He's you know, really been shot. And I'm like, I haven't shot. He didn't shoot me. He didn't get me. He goes, look at your leg. And there's a perfect little like hole in my leg, you know. And I was like, oh, shit. I'm like, go get him. He shot me. And the cop goes, I'm not going down there. He shot you. <laughs> and then he wouldn't go there. And then, um, so, uh, the ambulance came and I, I got away and, um, yeah, it was just a, a thing. And, you know, I was very lucky because, you know, he started shooting point blank. And by the time he shot me, the bullet just kind of like, just kind of just must've just like seared like a little perfect little hole kind of thing, you know? So it wasn't like uh, a lot of damage, but, um, I just didn't even realize how close I was, you know, because I didn't think he was really trying to shoot me because he started this close. I'm like, and then I found out later, I met the guy years later, and we uh, we had beef for years, and it was shooting each other's houses and all kind of shit. And I met him, and then we said, we got to talking and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I didn't think you were trying to shoot me. And he's like, he goes, motherfucker, you're so lucky. I didn't have my glasses. I couldn't see. <laughs> so, yeah. so, all right. So uh, a bit of a... Uh... A bit maybe of an obvious question, but I've never been shot or stabbed, and I don't plan to, by the way. Um, so you you kind of answered it anyway, inadvertently, uh, that the, the shot didn't really hurt because you didn't even know you were shot. But what yeah. about being stabbed in the ass? I mean, did, did that hurt? And you know, have you ever been stabbed anywhere else? No, man. You know, I've been with people that got stabbed really bad and stuff like that, and like, I've been very lucky. I think my adrenaline was pumping so much and I was in the, I was in movement. I was moving like I'm running as, you know, so I don't really get the full, like, you know, I didn't have any, I never had any real damage um, from being shot or stabbed. So I'm pretty lucky. I've had friends, you know, that died and I've, you know, I've seen some gruesome stuff and, um, you know, my friend Saber got impaled on a fucking fence post. He fell from a billboard and landed on a fence post. Like, just gruesome stuff. So um, I th- I consider myself pretty lucky, you know. Like it's you know. Yeah. Um, and you, you kind of alluded to something else, which I want to ask you, risk quite quite directly. So you've obviously been on the receiving end. What yeah. about inflicting end? Have you ever had to shoot someone or stab someone yourself? Well, you know, no comment. <laughs> you know, I definitely protected myself. You know, that's all I could say. Okay, fair enough. You're very uh, it, politicians answer. Uh, Alan Ketz gave me a very, very similar one. But um, anyway, I've got to ask, ask these questions. Being the uh, interviewer, um, so look. I was with actually in New York. I've seen Ketz get down a couple of times. Ketz actually took me to paint for my first game. All right, he's a top man. Do you know what he reminded me? I've said this to Ben Iron earlier. He reminded me in so many ways interviewing him just as an individual, very similar to Crash who is obviously John, they, they're both very, very articulate and very cool, calm, collected individuals. Um, but yeah, yeah, I both enjoyed them, them, uh, them, them podcast interviews. So, um, yeah, I know we, we, I just said like, you know, the guns, the, 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 the knives, the, the, the gangs and stuff and the crime. I mean, do you become a bit sort of immune to it almost like as an artist, like, cause all of that stuff happens around you. And also do you think it, inspires your work in any way uh definitely so i did become immune to it you know i recently i have four daughters i moved out 
to Thousand Oaks, which is 30, 40 minutes out of, out of the city, um, when my daughters were born. So I've been here 14 years, 15 years. And uh, when I was in the city, when I lived downtown, when I was running around uh, amongst all these gangs and all this stuff, my work was a lot darker. Uh, my fine art was like steel, glass, cement, heavy, dark. Uh, and then now I'm back to like these beautiful bright colors and butterflies and all this stuff. And I, I believe that I'm in the celebratory stage of life with my daughters and my life going very well and selling art and living in a, a beautiful life. And it's changed. I haven't thought about that consciously, but I just see my work as I look at his books and stuff like that of how it's changed and how it's changed where I'm at personally in my life. You know, when I lived in a, uh, a very seedy little studio, uh, with no water and stuff like that. Um, and I was going around getting fights and stuff and I was like on the streets. Um, you know, my stuff was very dark. And then, you know, now I have this beautiful compound with all these trees and water fountains and all this shit. And my, my stuff's very bright. So it definitely plays a part, in, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to ask you uh, the reason why you're called Risk as well, because obviously your birth name is Kelly. But what, what, what? How come you come up with the tag name or the artist name Risk or Risky, as you're known as sometimes? Yeah. So what happened was um, when I was a kid, I used to surf a lot, right? So I wrote surf, and I went to this high school, and there's only like five kids that surf there or something like that, and I was the only surf kid that was in trouble all the time so they caught me really quickly so I had to change my name and my friend wrote Chance and I thought that was the coolest name in the world and I was super bummed I couldn't have that name so it was like taking a chance blah 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 and then um, one day I was in his room and I looked up and I saw the board game Risk and I was like yeah Risk and I, I, I took that name but I didn't like Risk because it didn't really I, I didn't get it now I think it's the best name ever in the world I'm so thankful I have it but I wrote Risky you know because I was like a kid and I thought risky and that's the ski I did it in the hip hop thing after stuff like that. So risky. And then, uh, as I grew up, I just became Risco risk, risker, Mr. Risk, all this stuff. And then just risk just stuck, you know? So, uh, that's how it happened. Just kind of, I think I wrote so many different risk things. It's like crazy. I don't know. Um, well, judging your stories about being stabbed and shot and getting into that kind of stuff. And then obviously being a graffiti artist at, at heart, and now, you know, venturing into the more, I would say, more commercial side of, of, of being an artist. And also, am I right in saying, just looking at your palms of your hands, you've got tattoos on the palm of your hands? Uh, yeah. Hey, <laughs> right. you know, you, you, epit you epitomise the word risk. <laughs> you define <laughs> risk. Place can here. Place can here. Spray can. Uh, these are my daughter's names. Okay. Uh, this was when... I was telling Cartoon that I could do a tattoo myself, and he gave me the machine, and I did it. Wow. It was terrible. Did, did that, um, um, was that painful? I don't, I mean, I was so drunk, I don't remember anything. You were drunk when you done it, and you done it yourself? Yeah. <laughs> if uh, Let's have a look again. If I came home like that, my mum and dad would probably slap me, but um, it suits you. I, you know, I tried to pour bleach in it one time. It was still healing, which is the dumbest thing ever because it blew out. Oh, God. Um, so, uh, okay, so you started as a street artist, yeah, uh, graffiti, and then you've you've evolved. So talk to us about, like, your work now and, and, and you know, this is your this is your job. This is your career. This is your avenue of making, generating revenue. So how did you transition from just doing tagging street art to actually monetizing it. I, I'm, I'm interested in that psychology. Yeah, so uh, I lived in Hollywood, and I'd drive down the streets and see all these movies filming, and they had fake graffiti on the walls. And they have a thing called craft services, which is just lunch for all the set and everything. So I'd go and say, hey, can I do some real graffiti? And, and just so I could eat, you know, so I could go to craft services and eat. And they're like, why? We have this. I'm like, no, it's really fake. You can tell it's fake. People know it's fake. And long story short, they started calling me saying, call that graffiti kid to come in and do some real graffiti on the walls. And they give me 20 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it was. And it led up to me actually doing like some real videos for, uh, you know, Chili Peppers and 
everybody. And then I got the Michael Jackson video. I did a Michael Jackson video and um, I made some decent money with that. And I realized I could support myself doing art. And I just, I never turned back and I started doing that. And then I think Slick and I uh, went to the world championship in Bridlington, like back in 89 or something. And we won that. And then collectors started buying their stuff. Start doing canvases, and I just and I was doing, oh, and then we did a clothing line. Back to clothing, we did a clothing line called Third Rail, uh, as a streetwear brand, and I did that for 15 years, and then um, just been plugging away. And then when I sold Third Rail, probably like seven years ago, maybe, ten years, I sold Third Rail and just decided to do art full time. I've just been doing the gallery circuit. There, um, it seems to be the way that um, there's a lot of cross pollination between music, fashion art etc i went to a um <clears throat> a tiny temper i don't know if you know who he is he's a he's a he's a rapper uh, he's a he's a rapper in the uk he's, he's pretty big over here um he signed to disturb in london and i'm good friends with his manager and also his wife i've actually interviewed her on my podcast actually she's she's a neon artist anyway um they done a um uh, an NFT, which you've probably heard of these NFTs now, is like music as yeah. well as art. And he was selling a runner 70 for like £900 each. It was affiliated to Bonhams. So this kind of cross-pollination is now happening from a digital format, but also your more conventional canvases over to clothing. And when I spoke to Cope 2, actually, and I've spoken to Crash and people like that, these are probably people that you know very well, they've done a lot of uh, collaborations with like the likes of Adidas, um, you know, Converse. In actual fact, I've got a, a pair of trainers next door in our private studio here, which is a Futura uh, Converse collaboration that I picked up from Colette's. So is that like a goal for street artists to collaborate with fashion companies or is it just natural progression? Do they just approach you because they see you as a different avenue of putting a product out there, but in a different way? Yeah, I don't think it's a goal. I think it's a, a rite of passage, so to speak. It's something that, you know, um, it's a way to be celebrated by something that is a culture that we understand and we get excited about. Cause I think we'd probably be more excited about fashion bands than I don't know, other things, whatever. So, um, yeah, I think it's just natural. I think it just happens. Um, I think it's something that you're proud of. Usually, you know, it's something you, you want to do. Yeah. And would you say that could help you sort of commercialize your own brand, your art, and therefore you can monetize? I mean, is that, is that part of like a business strategy a little bit? You know, that's a, that's a tough question because a lot of fine art galleries uh, frown upon that stuff. But then when you get big enough and you do the right ones, it's like promotion and marketing. So I, I don't know. Well, That's a hard question. Well, it's the paradox between staying true to your roots, you know, not selling out. But at the yeah. same time, if you don't take that step up, then how are you really going to explode? You know, how are you going to get bigger? I think, you know, 100%. some are like, a, I don't know, like a cause, for example. Yeah. I mean, he's... Yeah. He seems like he's the master or whoever's behind him, you know, his, his, his team. They're very, very good at getting that balance right, you know, between like doing the right moves, commercializing, blowing up, making a huge amount of money, but also giving value to their collectors and to their investors. And I, I guess that is the, the, the art, isn't it? It's, it's trying to find that balance between staying true to your roots, but also trying to commercialize in the right way. Yeah. I, you know, you know uh, I've always thought, Selling out is not giving your kids opportunity to do better than you did. So I just, uh, I'm in it to win it. I, I, you know, I like to do a lot of things. I like to be the first, like I wanted to be the first corporate sponsor graffiti artist. And I did that with monster energy and I want to be the first to sponsor UFC fight. And I, I got to do that. And it's just things to do that I think are just cool. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you worked, uh, for Michael Jackson on a project um yep. red hot chili peppers i did breed someone else who's really cool uh, uh ice cube i mean yeah, that's it. Addiction. ice cube uh, what a cool cool guy um yeah. excuse the pun um so <laughs> um what what was that like meeting these kind of people because um you know 
what a lot of you graffiti street artists always say is, you know, you're, you come from very humble backgrounds or sometimes deprived backgrounds, quite rough backgrounds, and you're doing your, your work and then suddenly you're doing work for like Michael Jackson. I mean, how the hell did that happen? Like, did you pinch yourself? Like, how did you feel when you were doing that? Well, the Michael Jackson thing was the epitome of me running around the street. So I was like in a bubble. I, I was not hip to what was going on um, in, in popular culture, anything like that. So even when I met Michael Jackson, I didn't even think I realized it was him for the first couple seconds. You know, I was just in that much of a bubble, you know. Um, but looking back, you know, he cleared out the whole set and he choreographed the set by walking through it and jumping on cars and doing these dances that he did in the video. And I was a kid, I was kind of giggling in the bleachers up top, like this guy's nuts, you know? And then looking back, I was watching like a pure genius. Cause like he sure, he choreographed that whole thing. Like you, you, you imagine these things, like you imagine people are like having teams of people choreographing and you go, you're going to come over here and you can do this. You can spin around, you can do this. And none of that happened. It was just him by himself 15 minutes before they shot the video. And he did the whole thing, just set it up, you know? And then, um, it took him a day or two to shoot the video, but like he, figured it out in 15 minutes what he's gonna do you know and that was really cool and as far as the other guys like uh chili peppers or, or stuff like that these are people that you know I, I was from la and hollywood and i you know i went to high school with dave navarro you know so we grew up together watching our careers flourish and whatever and, and you have to understand the bands and graffiti arts are very similar because they're out there bombing with flyers and stuff putting up their flyers for the band and we're out there tagging stuff. So you'd run into people and like, what are you doing? Like putting up flyers, what are you doing? Tagging, you know? And then, um, you know, years go by and then we're doing like movies together and videos together and, and, and stuff like that. So it's just kind of, I think, you know, where you grow up and how you grow up and coming from a, a, you know, a very aggressive background, whether it be hip hop or punk rock, there's a lot of energy, you know? And those people tend to circulate together, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to ask you this question. Um, uh, sorry, Rich, I'm not, I'm not too sure how, how old you are, your age? 50. 50, okay. So you're actually... 52, but... Okay, so you're actually same same age as Ben Iron, uh, which, is, which, is, which is crazy, because when I was speaking to him earlier, I was like, you know, he's got like a childlike life about him, you know, he's, he's, he's great stuff and he's a nutter, yeah. you know, to be honest. Uh, but, I know Ben. But, but fantastic artist and uh, I really like him. Um, so same question I'm going to ask you that I asked him. So being 50, right? Uh, number one, did you imagine when you started that by the time you were 50 years of age, you were going to be still doing art, graffiti, you know, doing what you're doing now? And also the landscape of art from, from when you was a young kid to where you are right now. How's it changed? How's it matured? How's it evolved? Uh, first, yes, I did imagine myself doing art. Like I, I imagine myself doing what I love my whole life. Um, you know, other part of that question, people say, did you ever imagine being in galleries and museums? And I was like, yeah, of course I did. I mean, that's why I, I dedicated my life to it. Um, but I didn't imagine doing stuff like the Super Bowl. I never imagined painting for the Super Bowl. I never imagined getting knighted by the Medici family. I never imagined crazy shit like that that happens. I never imagined. Um, and how, how has it changed? It's changed drastically because now <laughs> I can afford to eat. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's changed drastically because now I, you know, I can enjoy uh, a lot of really cool things in life. You know, I have a collection of some great stuff and I have some fun mm. stuff and I have a great life. Um, yeah, so it's changed because you no, know, it's weird though, because you would think it, it changes and the struggle gets less and less, but the struggle gets harder and harder because the more money I make, the more elaborate I want to do these installations. And nothing really changes in that aspect because you're always kind of scrambling, but it's just an easier scramble, I guess. The definition of success means different things to different individuals, but let's just talk about financially then, yeah? This is obviously your occupation. This is your job, your career. Financially, you know, um, is it paying really good now that you become a very, very kind of well-known street artist and someone's very good at what you do? Or do you think you could be doing better? I mean, you could always do better, right? I mean, that's, you could always do better. But, I, you know, I'm doing great. And uh, 
financially, it's not just about money. It's about um, being able to, you know, my daughters, that's the love of my life, and being able to have them experience the finer things in life at an early age. Yeah. It's very special to me, and that's, that's success to me. Um, yeah, but, you know, recently, I don't know, I've sold some pieces that were more than I've ever sold stuff for, but nothing changes. I'm still in the studio the next morning, just like the day before. Um, yeah. And, and typically, you know, what sort of level do your best masterpieces go for, you know, your canvas works? Um, you know, it, it all depends on size and, and scale and whatever it is. But, you know, we had some really good sales this month. That, you know, we, we sold some stuff for, you know, some good money, 240 grand, 200 grand, stuff like that. Um, and that's a lot for me, for my stuff. And it's just kind of crazy, you know? Yeah. Um, so you featured in the uh, documentary Banksy and the Rise of uh, Outlaw Rock. Um, I think that's where I picked you up first. And uh, this is where I picked up a lot of these other artists and I've spoken to them and done interviews with them. And I'm hoping to work with some of you guys in the future because I really do, I'm obsessed with this kind of street art culture. I think it's a mad world. And what I love about it is you can have these high-flying billionaires who are very, very corporate people buying your work. But then you also have like, an average person buying your work and it's a bit of a melting pot for every kind of person will find themselves going into this street art community. And it's a bit like music. It doesn't matter what your background or your race or your gender or what your religious beliefs are. We can all resonate with the art, you know, we can all resonate with the music. So that's yeah. why, why I find it quite fascinating. So um, getting onto uh, the, the documentary, how come, how did you get invited onto that? What was, why did you sort of participate? What, what was your feedback? What was your view on that documentary? How do you think it was put together? Just wanted to take, get your take on it, Risk. Um, uh, is this Saving Banksy or which one is this? This is uh, Banksy and the Rise of Outlaw Art. Yeah. Um, I don't really remember. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> Uh, I did a couple of Banksy projects. Uh, I've done a couple indirect things with him, and I've done some this two movies, I guess, maybe Banksy and this one. Um, I'm a huge fan of Banksy. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know as far as feedback. I don't really pay attention to that stuff, so I don't. I wouldn't know. But uh, I know that you know the saving Banksy was like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. He got incredible, great reviews, and it was on Apple TV for a long time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons why I'm asking you this question, okay, um, you could probably see in the background here, we've got a, a Richard Hamilton. If I turn the screen just slightly, you got a, you know, big, a big rodeo piece. I mean, we got over 400 works under management, and I found myself right place at right time, 2014, a few years before his death. I was approached by a very large art dealer. And he said, look, I think, you know, you've got the personality to, you know, promote his art and do some art dealing because my background isn't in art risk. You know, it's, it's not. It's in sales and marketing. And I, I was so compelled by the Shadowman story and narrative. I was like, bloody hell, this is my calling. This is, this is amazing. And, and that was the start of it. And anyway, I, there has been in the documentary references that Banksy got his inspiration from Hamilton or certainly Jean-Michel Basquiat, Keith Haring, these, you know, these legends. But then also also like come, come across um, an artist that I didn't really know of until a few years ago called Black the Rat, who is also on this documentary, who I would say is more so connected to Banksy because he's known as the godfather of stencil art. And you start to join the dots. You can see how they're all interlinked in some kind of way. So question I want to ask you, obviously you must have heard about Richard Hamilton, the Godfather street art. What's your take on Richard Hamilton? What's your knowledge about him? What's your knowledge about his market? And who do you think he's inspired? Uh, Richard Hamilton, a big fan. I'm actually currently, I have a piece in a uh, Richard Hamilton show at, um, um, Chase Contemporary. I know Chase, Bernie, Mont Bernie, uh, Bernie Chase. 
Yeah. So he, he Bernie bought out a shark idea and he put it in the show with Richard Hamilton. I was incredibly thrilled. It's going on right now. Um, and speaking of Black Rat, I just did a show with him last week uh, in Texas. And we had a very successful show. It's running for a month right now. But, you know, as far as who he's inspired, um, I would say, you know, it's a melting pot. You know, like I, I know that Banksy said that Black Rat was a huge influence. And every time he did something cool, he figured out that Black Rat did it 20 years earlier. Um, so, you know, I think it all kind of goes hand in hand, right? I think, you know, you get inspired, but then you, 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 you meet somebody and then it goes back and forth. Like you're ping-ponging off each other, you know? Yeah. So um, I spoke to Black the Rat over my podcast. It was some point at the start of this year. And i got to say, what a nice guy. Um, the nice guy. Really, really, really cool guy. It was funny because he's the only person out of 100, nearly 160 episodes where just like you were so casual about being stabbed in the arse and also shot at, he just suddenly sparked up a cigarette and started smoking like just at the start of the of the of the episode and i thought i love that you know because you you just you just you just you are who you are you know which is great um but he said that out of any living or uh, deceased artist he said the best artist still today in his own words was richard hamilton he also said that the only artist he's ever bought is Richard Hamilton. And I thought that's such a nice thing for someone like him to say. And he said lots of good things about Banksy because I was I was assuming he was going to start bad mouthing Banksy, not because he's a bad person. It's just because his rivalry. I thought there, but in actual fact, it was opposite. He was saying Banksy has actually helped him make a lot of money from his own art because of the connection. So you know, um, Hamilton, would you say he's probably one of the best street artists that you've ever come across, or would you resonate with what Black the Rat said? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, Hamilton has so much energy. The rodeo pieces are some of my favorite pieces by far. Uh, out of street art, you know, those are like you know my dream is to have one of those things. Um, and the fact that you know, I love when he's painting on doors, and I love the fact, you know, all this early stuff on pieces of wood and stuff like that were just powerful. I mean, that's the word, powerful. You know, so much energy. You know, when it was presented to me, it was almost like. Jean-Michel Basquiat, Keith Haring, Hamilton kind of started the genre of street art back in the 70s and 80s, hence why he was known as a godfather of street art. And um, from a financial aspect, and maybe I'm thinking about this wrong, but you can't ignore it. You know, when Jean-Michel Basquiat died, you know, in his, you know, in his, in his, uh, you know, late 20s, and then Keith Haring died in his early 30s, you know, no surprises, their markets went up a considerable rate. And, you know, obviously, Jean-Michel Basquiat in 2017 went for $110.5 million. And, you know, when Hamilton died that year, I noticed in 2019, he had a very, very large auction as well for him, over half a million dollars. And I'm like, wow, it's going in the same direction as like Keith Haring and, and Jean-Michel Basquiat. But you being a true thoroughbred street art artist and also a collector, you know, of, the, of their works... Can you see his market going in that way? You know, is it really going to catch fire the same? Oh, I think so. I think it's, it already has, right? It, you know, um, I watch the prices just skyrocket. Um, and that, a lot of that can do with like, you know, as people become more aware of them, the demand is greater, right? It's, you know, you can only get so many things, though. People buy and sell, and that's how it happens, right? Yeah, of course. So with, with you then, uh, your prices, because you've already mentioned a, bit, a few high prices there. I mean, 200 250 300 I mean, it's a huge amount of money. I mean, bloody hell, you could buy a house in certain parts of the world for that. Um, probably yeah. not where you're from. LA is super, super expensive over there. I can see this condo you're living in as well, Risk. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so... Your prices and and also your investment market per se. How, how's it going? Like you know, how how's how's things ca- caught momentum and catch fire in a good way? Have have they been jumping up? Yeah, they jumped up a lot. You know, I try to keep that in check. You know, I try to keep that under control, and I try to make it only go up x amount per year if possible, and try to keep it. Um, you know, I don't want it to get crazy. You know, and just blow up. You know, but there's nothing you can do about it because. I have to keep up with the secondary market too, because people buy my stuff and they sell it for that. So then, you know, yeah, you know, people buy pieces and sell them a couple months later. It's just crazy. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, there's other people that I've looked at, like, uh, you know, uh, obviously Dondi, uh, Ramosy, you know, all these other, you know, great elite kind of artists. And obviously you've got living ones like uh, the Bankses and, you know, a few, you know, multiple others. There's too many even to, to mention. Um, why is it that some artists like really catch fire and they take off and then others it seems to take a little bit longer, you know? Like, for example, right, I, lo- I like Out Diaz, right? Out Diaz is such a cool guy. I love the fact that him and Jean-Michel Basquet started with Samo or Samo, yeah? Um, I've actually got one of Out Diaz's pieces, and I sold a few pieces. Off the back of the, the, my podcast interview, I've sold to a few people, and we're going to do a project with him. And I look at his market, and I'm thinking, it should be higher. You know, it really should be higher, but it's not. What? Why is that? I think it's just knowledge. People don't know the story, and as they learn the story, the prices of it they'll go higher. You know, I think, I think it's just like just that. I think it's that simple, man. Like when people realize, oh wow, Aldeas was with John Michel Basquiat and Samo with two people and all this stuff, then everyone wants one, and then now there's a supply and demand thing, and then the prices go up. Yeah. So uh, okay. So we spoke about Hamilton, Black the Rat, Banksy. You know all these people. Who inspired you? Like, who would you say? You know, is the one, two, three individuals that got risk to kind of where he's at today, as far as motivation. Uh, Futura is definitely one. Uh, Lee, definitely one. Lee Canones. Yeah, I saw a show with Futura and Lee in Los Angeles back in like '85 or something, '86 at the Tamara Bain Gallery, and I just thought it was so fucking cool. And uh, that, and then Crash, I remember Crash had a billboard on, on Sunset Boulevard. It, it was, I think it was a Playboy ad, and it said this month's interview with Crash, an artist, something, what it was. But I thought that was super cool. Um, you know, all the top New York guys were a huge influence on me. Um, and then later when I got into art, I started getting influenced by like a lot of local Los Angeles guys, like Chaz, Chaz Borke. Uh, I'm going to interview those guys in California locals later today. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but there's so many people that influence me. It's just like, it's, it's an endless list because every day you see something new, right? Mm. Yeah. And and my influences aren't just artists. They're like my kids or the whatever, you know, like the waves, the surfing, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I was going to, so being 50, I'm 35 years of age, so I'm not too far behind your risk. Um, but you and I do share something, which is we were born and we were in business before the rise and the age of social media. Yeah? Right. So you've got a big following, yeah? You're approved, verified on Instagram. You've probably got a lot of followers and other platforms. Is that a distraction? Is it a help? Do you prefer it? Do you actually wish it didn't exist? What's your take on social media and how has it helped you or hindered you as an artist? You know, social media, is, it's a double-edged sword, you know, because it's like social media is kind of silly, kind of whatever, whatever, but also it raised the bar so much because, you know, when I was doing graffiti and, and trading pictures with people in London, like Remy Ruff or someone like that, and, um, and we'd ship photos that take us like a month to see the pieces, you know, the pieces, the artwork we were seeing is a month or two months old by that time. Right. And, you know, you get influenced off of each other and you trade things, things and that, and whatever. And now on social media in five minutes, like, look what this guy just did around the world. And you see all this different stuff. And the technique is so amazing. I remember, you know, being, uh, a kid and any graffiti in the world I saw, I was like, Oh, I could do that. I wouldn't do it. It's not mine, but I can do it. But now I look at stuff. I'm like, how do you do that? It's mind boggling. You know? So I think that aspect of social media is great. I think people that live for social media is kind of silly. Um, it's just a double-edged sword. It's like careful what you wish for, right? We all wanted graffiti to be a, a household name and a common art genre and get all this accolades. But once it happens, you go, oh, it was kind of cooler before. So I don't know. You know, it was more exciting and more uh, secret subculture before. But it's more, um, you know, it's mainstream now. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. Um, but I think you, you have to be on top of your game. You have to work a lot harder these days. Yeah. yeah um, so I, th- I think it goes back to the old thing, which is, you know, 
use social media, don't let social media use you. And I think we all sometimes fall in that trap of uh, being on it too much and whatever else. Um, this is kind of linked to the social media question, which is this. Who are the type of people that collect your work now or and versus the ones that used to collect your work before social media? Do you find a new demographic, a new audience coming to you because of social media? Uh, I don't know that's because of social media. You know, I have a lot of collectors um, collect my stuff and I have a lot of graffiti fans that still collect my stuff. And, you know, you can always get a print for a couple hundred bucks or, you know, pieces upwards to whatever, whatever, whatever. So I think as long as I have something for everybody, it's fine. And, you know, I don't know. It's a different, you know, the younger people like the graffiti. Um, older people like the fine art. Um, obviously, in the last year to two years, uh, risk we all economies have gone through this coronavirus scenario. Some people think it's the worst thing in the world. Some people a little bit. Well, you know, it is what it is. Um, not really here to talk about the conspiracy conspiracy side of things because that is another conversation for, for probably another day. But let's talk about the art market and the financial markets. Okay, how have you? How's you have you how have you experienced you know what's like via selling your work and making your work? How's it affected you? Um, you know, it's funny. You know, you sell a piece for one hundred twenty grand, and then a month later, someone sells it for one hundred eighty, whatever. Um, are you happy? Or are you sad? What are you? I don't know. It's a, I'm like, it's just a weird feeling, you know? I think that I just don't pay attention to it. Does that make any sense? I just create to create. And as long as I'm creating, cool. And I'm also an artist that would like, if I, it was up to me, I'd keep all my work, you know? Mm. So and it, it, I make stuff. I try to hold it. Has coronavirus helped you, though? Like, because where more and more people have been locked down and they've been on social media or on the internet, and they're looking at your work and maybe times, they, you know, they've been caught up with their day-to-day work and their family. Now they're looking at your work. Are they buying more? And are they using your artwork as a, as a way of preserving their wealth? I, 100%. I think the coronavirus has been great for creatives because you got to sit and lock it and do things you've been talking about doing and haven't had time to do it. Um, I also think that, a lot of people are stuck at their houses and they're fixing up their houses because <laughs> they're stuck in there 24-7. Yeah. So they bought art. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, I really don't know if people are buying it to, to flip it or buying to keep it. Um, so far, I've, I've experienced very few people buying to flip it. Uh, and it's, I know exactly who they are, what they're doing. Um, and then most people are just buying it what they love. And I love that. Like I, I say to this day to everyone, People say, what should I buy? I'm like, say, buy what you love. Like, buy what you love. That's the first rule to me, you know? Yeah. And are you, I mean, it sounds like you're not, but do you ever, is it, yeah, you said it's a bit of a weird feeling because you paint because you love to create and you like to have meaning and narrative behind your work and people kind of should buy it for that. But we can't ignore the fact that people make, excuse my French, a shit ton of money from flipping, investing, collecting art. You know, it's clear to see. I mean, I've just done a, I didn't have to, but I wanted to. I've done a Sotheby's uh, art and finance course. It went over six weeks and it was purely and simply about not the creative side of stuff, but it's like the marketing and, you know, what to look out for, the trends and, you know, the different elements of the art market and how to make money from it. So, you know, Sotheby's and you know Christie's are doing these courses because that is a real side to art. And how does it make you feel seeing that? You know, when when you see like all these other artists make a huge amount of money, like in auctions, how does that make you feel? I mean, I'm happy for them. I think that you know, the more successful they are, the more successful I am. You know, like uh, you know, you know, you know, people get jealous of Banksy, and I was like, he opened the whole market for so many people that don't even realize it. You know. Um, you know, I just had a great auction success with Phillips like last month, I think this month. Um, and I tried to stay out of auctions and 
going into Phillips and being on the main floor, being in the window in New York and, and selling for, you know, double what they estimated for was a great feeling and it feels good. Um, yeah, I just don't pay attention to it really. You know, I think that it's like, like you said with social media, if you pay attention to it, if you go to the rabbit hole, it's going to drive you nuts, you know? Yeah. No, I, when I can, I would love to get out to, over to LA and maybe do a part two in person with you, mate. And, um, as I, as I mentioned, like there might be some synergy, you know, I've got, uh, you know, a lot of clients, they all Hamilton buyers, collectors. I've passively worked with some of the others like days and crash and cope and out Diaz and sold a few pieces for them. Um, so no doubt there's going to be a bit of synergy there, but you know, if I were to meet you in person and walk down the street in, in Los Angeles, are you like known? Like would people run over to you like a celebrity uh, or you kind of still like, you know, people in the right circles, people know you, but you wouldn't call yourself famous. Well, I'll never call myself famous, but my daughters get a kick out of it. You know, like you know, people will stop me to get things signed or whatever. And my daughters love it. And I love it. And it, the funniest thing is the number one place I get spotted is Disneyland. Cause I take my daughter to Disneyland all the time. And that must be my spot or something. Cause everyone at Disneyland seems to know me. Oh wow! <laughs> I don't know what it is, but, and it's funny because they're all with their kids. And they grew up seeing my stuff on the freeways and this and that. But, um, yeah, I don't know, but my daughters enjoy it a lot. That's good. It must be a really, really good feeling. I mean, it's recognition that you're, you're doing something right. Yeah. Cool. I, mean, uh, I love it. I'm, I'm so blessed to have people, you know, there's nothing better than sitting in a bar and someone sending you around and drinks. It's just like, feels good. You know? Yeah. So, uh, you're in, you're in LA now. Um, uh, of course, you must have painted and worked around the world. Where's some of the best places, some of the best projects you worked on, uh, Risk? Uh, you know, Japan was fun. Barcelona was really fun. I mean, everywhere. That's such an hard question. I love painting anywhere and everywhere. Um, London was fun. I mean, uh, you know, it's all fun. It's just, it's just very exciting to be able to paint somewhere different, you know? And I think that's just like that old thing, like, you know, anything new is exciting you know definitely definitely well yeah if you're ever in london again please stop over to our studio you mentioned remy ruff as well he's one of my former guests as well he's he's a really good guy yeah i've known remy for forever yeah really cool guy so um what are you up to now then so you, you said you're doing the rounds with different galleries i mean you know what, what's your next yeah. few projects well i got a movie coming out with dave navarro uh taylor hawkins from the Foo fighters chris cheney um Corey Taylor from Slipknot. Uh, it's, it's, I got that coming out. I got two toys coming out with Sideshow Collectibles. We got a new book deal. Oh, Vandal. I executive produced a movie called Vandal. that's coming out like within a month. Um, I got five shows going on right, right. now. Like that's me. Yeah, I do one a year and I'm doing five right now. It's crazy. Nice. Um, but I mean, we have so much shit going on. It's like crazy. Um, and then the, this compound that, you haven't seen but i'll show you we have five buildings on here with a serigraph shop a print shop a shipping room a metal shop a wood shop and a studio um and this is under construction so just staying really busy good good forbes, I just, forbes this is doing a, a article on me they're coming out to spend a week at the compound here mm. um good stuff good so, like, like, you know you're relatively still young really like 50 years of age you got like you know you might even go double if not triple that mate who knows we've got the uh we've yeah. got the technology these days um and also the, the 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 learnings and teachings about how to preserve your body but look let's just say another 50 years where do you see yourself what kind of goals and aspirations do you want to hit i mean maybe inside the art market in business life family what what's what's going to happen with you over the next few years you know, people always ask me what's next. And I'm like, I never know because I just, I'm blessed not to pick and choose the projects I want to do right now. Right. I, I pick the ones that are cool and I do it. And I think if you know what's next, you know, like the ride's over and I think life's hell of a ride. And I never want it to be over. So I'm just, I don't really know what's next. Where do I see myself right here doing the same thing right now, going outside with my crew and working and, and producing and expanding this compound and making cool stuff for my kids and uh, traveling the world. And yeah, I, I don't want anything to change. You know, I want it to stay the same and just do a lot more of it. Yeah, lovely stuff. Uh, Riss, I'm going to round off this podcast. Uh, where can people find you? Did you mention that you're interviewing people? Have you got your own podcast? 
Yeah, we do a thing called happy hour every Thursday night, six to seven, and they come out to the compound, and I interview people from, uh, you know, Slapbox Chuck Liddell or interview uh, Travis Barker or Dave Navarro or whatever. We makeshift concerts. We've had corn out here. We have everyone out here. But today I'm going to the L.A. art show, uh, the L.A. art fair, and I'm interviewing the California locals. So that's going to be pretty exciting. Well, when I'm over there, maybe you can interview me, eh? I'd love to. It'd be great. A London celebrity. I'm only joking. Uh, I'm not big enough yet, but maybe in the future. That was rubbish uh, London sarcasm uh, risk. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, they can they can listen to you on there. What about your profiles and everything else? Where could, uh, I know you've got a shop as well, haven't you? Online store. Yeah, Risk Rock on Instagram is Risk Rock. Uh, I think my Facebook is Risk Artist. And, you know, riskrock.com, I have a website. Instagram, I think, is the best. It kind of links to everything. You could go to the shop from there and stuff like that. And I think Instagram posts the most current stuff. Cool. All right, wicked. One last question, okay? Um, my podcast started um, not really interviewing artists, but more like entrepreneurs and athletes. Um, I've got a faint little black eye here. I box, you know, I, I you know, I compete and stuff. In actual fact, tomorrow morning, I, um, I'm getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go sparring. And anyway, um, going through this like kind of bettering yourself kind of journey and trying to inspire any kind of young female or young male who's a little bit lost, who needs a little bit of guidance, uh, a little bit of motivation. I'm hoping some of the people I'm interviewing uh, is going to give that to them, whether they want to be an athlete, an entrepreneur, an artist, whoever. Okay, And I come up with a bit of a saying a few years ago, and it goes like this. Be happy, never content. Risk, if I was to, were to ask you, what does be happy, never content, what does that mean to you? Um, keep on keeping on and do what you love, but do it till it's painful. Um, you know, Deepak Chopra, I read that book, Seven Spirits of Laws of Success. And I remember there's one thing in there and he goes, if you're looking at these three office desks or something like that, this one's way out of your price league. This one's out of your price league, but the one you really want, and this one's right in your price league. Get the one in the middle. Always be struggling a little bit, right? So kind of related to that. Um, I, I constantly live beyond my means a little bit only because it makes me hungry. I think it's so, so important to act in that way because, like you said, if you're – if you look, there's a couple of ways to look at it, but I think if you if you're just comfortable, got a lot of money in the bank, and you're not stretching yourself financially, then you're not gonna wake up. Yeah, what's the point? You're just you're just gonna die off your or, or you're gonna welcome problems. I think having them goals and stretching yourself and committing on certain things. I think that's the big word: commitment. Commit on something which is better for your life. Um, I think that's gonna you know make you grow as an individual. So look, risk. Uh, you've been a legend you've been a gentleman you've been you know um very insightful you've been motivational um i definitely would love to come and hook up with you one one time uh if you're in london definitely definitely come over um this is going to be out in a few weeks time and if you're listening to this right now please follow risk follow his journey buy it invest into his work because he's clearly you know going to make you a fortune if you buy it uh and also fucking really cool stuff and um watch your space be happy, never content. Thank you very much, Rist, for your time. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you. Ciao. Bye-bye.